Welcome to In the Gutter, a podcast that is all comics, all bangers, all the time, with story expert Lonnie Diane Rich and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. One of the hosts has read almost no superhero comics, and the other has read almost all of them. We'll let you sort out which is which. And now, In the Gutter. I am teaching... Um, a year-long writing workshop called the Year of Writing Magically Workshop, where I, I share all of my knowledge and experience in writing um, long-form fiction projects with a bunch of students. And Joshua is one of them. And we were just having a conversation <laughs> off mic before we started about how like, I am also one of the students. So I am telling people how to do this stuff and at the same time freaking out because my teacher, who is me, is demanding that I <laughs> figure my shit out by uh, two weeks from today. So the next thing is for the people who don't know what it is that they're going to write, they have to uh, figure out what they're going to write. And I am one of that number. I have like four different projects in my head. And then another one that Ian reminded me of yesterday. So um, okay. I'm freaking now, out trying to figure which one I want. I, I, I feel like there's still a vital piece of information that's being left out of this explanation. What, what this is a novel. <laughs> Like by the end of this thing, we're gonna have a piece of long form fiction. I mean, a it, can long form fiction it can be a script. It can be a script. It could be a screenplay. Like a, it could be a play. Yeah, it can be whatever. For a, a, graphic long, novel, a long form fiction project, right? But long form fiction, and in our case, yeah. for you and I, that means a yeah. novel. And so you're like, yes. oh, I've got four or five novel ideas, and I need to pin it down. And I'm the asshole that's making me do this at work. This is nonsense. <laughs> so, and I'm cheating. I'm 100% yeah. cheating because because like I have a story I desperately want to finish and no, have just not been yeah. able to get over the hump. And so I'm just cruising through the first couple of parts of this, you know, the, right. this class where so it's like, oh. you're all smug and ahead of, the, ahead of schedule because oh, you've already I, done a lot of this stuff. I'm going to crash and burn hard uh, once I have to make <laughs> new words. Like, I mean, I'll, sur I'll make it through, but it's like I got to enjoy smugness now because pride goeth exactly. before the fall and I can see the damn fall. <laughs> Well, everybody's at different places. Like there are people who know what they want to do, but they haven't started. There are people like you who have started and know what they want to do. And then there are people like me who don't know what they want to do, but know that they're going to do a long form fiction project this year. And now is the part of the class where we are making those choices is we've had our second meeting, you know, yesterday as of this recording and uh, sat down and, you know, did like all the, the first, you know, part of the class is like clearing the decks in your life so mm -hmm. that you can make room for this project, yada, yada. And giving people the whole year to, to do this is like a, a, allowing for some time, you know, for them to like figure it all out. And then as I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay, so yesterday I told everybody by the time we meet next, anybody who doesn't know what they're working on, has to be able to say like you know what it is that they're working on and make the commitment um and that now that that's me i'm all <laughs> freaking out because i'm not sure what the right one is like there is like a, an element of magic to this process and i need to align myself with whatever that magic is and as the teacher I'm like, don't worry, it'll be fine. You'll figure it out. Just let the, just do the stuff that I've told you to do. Whistle for your creativity, you know, spend time with your muse, all of that kind of stuff, like engage in all of the, you know, if, if, and, but for me as the student, I'm like, I don't know that this is going to work. Like, I don't know that I trust myself in this circumstance. So you yeah. do know, <laughs> but it's always trust. Like, it's like, hold yeah. on to this handle for dear life. Yeah. Listen, no, I, uh, I am super glad that I showed up mm -hmm. with a little bit of momentum because I cannot imagine 
trying to put, get the rock started up the hill. I'm so yeah. glad I showed up, you know, with a, with a little bit of heat on it. Because yeah, otherwise your, I'd your be in the same is gonna boat. Be, when we start writing, when we start drafting, when we start the drafting process, you've already drafted a certain amount. So you're kind of like in between these. For anybody listening, there's, there's basically three phases of writing, discovery, drafting, and revision. And discovery is the fun, staring out windows, kind of picking things from the sky, like <laughs> magical, yes. magical, really fun uh, period where you're sort of figuring out what's going on in your story. So we're doing the discovery phase now. Now, Joshua is ahead because he already knows what his story is going to be. So his discovery process is a little more solid than maybe perhaps mine, where I'm just like, I don't know, I like this. Maybe I'll do this. I don't know. Um, but when we get to the drafting phase, you're going to have to like rev up, catch up to where you were and then move from right. there. Yeah. Um, and so that's when, that's when this, you know, is going to turn around. <laughs> I mean, to an extent, I'm trying to get ahead of that by turning this into yeah. sort of a rediscovery phase, you yes. know, uh, which to, is what you need to do. You need yeah. to get back into that. Mm -hmm. So, and, and to be honest, uh, because my story is a superhero story. Really? Yeah. Uh, there's a nice dovetail that a lot of the things that I would want to be doing anyway will feed mm -hmm. into that, including, yeah. including a very moody Captain America. <laughs> Which is what we've got today. Oh, my God. Like the emotional work being done in this issue is exactly what I come to Brubaker Cap to see. Like have, I am yes, absolutely loving this. We have done so much talking <laughs> and so much setting mm -hmm. up. And finally, yep. here we have an issue. We'll talk about it, of course. But, like, it's still a lot of talking, but the conflict is back, baby. It is back, and we've got it in two different areas. So I'm going to go ahead and read the summary. Jack, roll the music. In Captain America, the Winter Soldier number 12, Leon goes into Lucan's office before meeting with a bunch of powerful CEOs and expresses concern about the Cosmic Cube and Lucan's erratic behavior. Lucan tells him to shut the fuck up, goes into the boardroom, and starts the bidding on the Cosmic Cube at $100 billion. Meanwhile, at Steve's apartment, Sharon and Fury read over the file while Cap insists that Bucky is still inside the Winter Soldier somewhere. Sharon isn't so sure. She tries to get Cap to understand that Bucky killed Jack Monroe, all those people in Philadelphia, and Tapper. Steve puts the blame where it belongs, on Lucan, and says that Sharon is blaming the gun, not the person who pulled the trigger, and he's not going to leave Bucky out there under the control of the very people he spent his life fighting. Cap rushes off, and Sharon calls Fury and says that she didn't get through to Steve. Back in the boardroom, Lucan uses the power of the Cosmic Cube to force all the CEOs to sign their companies over to him. But when he goes out into the hall, he drops the cube and loses his balance. Leon picks up the cube, and Lucan attacks him. Cap is out alone in the city at night, remembering when he and Bucky were in the war, fighting the Red Skull when they see a bunch of their soldiers coming across the bridge toward them, but they don't look quite right. While Cap tells himself in the present to remember that none of this is Bucky's choice or Bucky's fault, he also remembers back to the moment that Bucky made the call to kill their friends, who the Nazis had basically turned into zombies. And Cap realizes that this is what Bucky would want, for Cap to stop him in whatever way he could. Cap struggles not wanting to accept it, thinking there must be another way, when Falcon shows up and says he thought Cap might need a friend. Yeah, Cap says, I really do. Oh my God, Joshua, I'm so glad we're back in this gritty emotional space. Oh, what did man. you think of this issue? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, this is back at it. Like it's been a little bit, mm -hmm. honestly, bit of a rough ride. Yeah. There's always the exposition, yeah. 
you know, that is necessary for any story. We've kind of been over that. And last issue was definitely like probably the best example of that with the file framing. But now we're back to the actual actual confrontations the actual conflict lucan is out doing nefarious shit cap's torn up emotionally he's thinking about killing bucky it welcome back emotional <laughs> damage <laughs> oh i love it we've got both internal and external conflict happening here you know because we see that lucan even though cap doesn't know what lucan's doing we see that lucan is up to shit and he's going to be coming at cap you know um all of this is going to affect cap in this in this final fight for you know basically the soul of bucky but also there's that internal conflict for cap of i don't want to kill my friend i want to save my friend but what the experience is for Bucky and what it is that Bucky would want, which by the way, Bucky has not gotten a say in anything, you know, since he jumped off the back of Cap's motorcycle in 1945 or whenever that was. Right. right? Yeah. You know, so Bucky has not gotten a say in anything. And when Cap's trying to think about what Bucky would want after all of these years of doing all of these things that he did not want to do, but doing them. Yeah. But I did them right. You know, yeah. calling back to the movie. It's such a, a huge, wonderful, crunchy internal conflict and I love it. This is exactly what I come to this kind of story for. Oh my God. So let's talk a little bit about this amazing cover art. We have this image of a dejected, demoralized cap, his head down, walking away from the file and the papers inside it um, into a looming image of Bucky with a rifle aimed looking down the scope. And it is so amazing, so powerful, so sad. Like, I absolutely love this cover. Yeah, after, uh, like, the covers are always good, and sometimes they're yeah. evocative even when they're simple. But this one is really a gut punch. It yeah. really is. Mm -hmm. I think this might be the best cover since the Jack Monroe cover. And yes. I don't mm -hmm. think it's accidental that I draw that comparison because there's a similar kind of, like, uh, cap lost over scattered papers. Right. Right. Like there's a, a motif there. Um, one thing I will point out that 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 made this, I, I don't know, like a little bit of a meta gut punch is that mm -hmm. Cap walking away from us, like the viewer has a yeah. very Peter Parker, Spider-Man, no more vibe. Like if you've ever seen <laughs> yeah. this really iconic cover, they actually recreated mm -hmm. it in, in the one of the Raimi movies yeah. of Pete leaves his costume in a trash can in an alley and is walking out of the alley so it's like the walls are kind of like you know bringing mm -hmm. him towards the street and in the extreme yeah. foreground is the trash can with the with the suit in it and he's in the background walking away and again <sighs> it's not the same right but mm -hmm. it's very much a crisis of faith moment and i i just wonder if we're evoking that on purpose or if that's just something that's you know stirred up in me because i have all this marvel business going on in my head <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I think it's one of those things where like it works either way. Like if right, you have yeah. the additional, you know, context outside of this issue, um, you can see that, you know, and how well it works. And then like for me, not having really that context, it was still like just incredibly. Yeah. It's it so hits. powerful. What did you think about the interior art? Like we're back to an all epting yeah. or almost all epting issue, except for mm -hmm. the we're back to epting in the present Lark in the flashbacks. How did you feel about this yeah. issue's art? 
Um, I mean, the flashbacks have their own thing, you know, mm-hmm. that I think works really well. And, and they feel sort of warped by time. And I've always loved that. So, like, we're, I'm enjoying those. But I got to say, like, seeing Cap, like, parkour through the city while he's trying to figure out, you know, everything and just thinking about things. But, like, jumping from building to building, flying down backwards, you know, like, it's all... Uh, like he's so active and yet he's not even really there yes you know while he's doing this and i think that that the art managed to get that across really really well in some beautiful beautiful frames and action shots and everything all while he is basically in this in this big battle with himself it does kind of feel like an action sequence like a battle but he's not battling anybody but himself and i think Mm -hmm. they got that in the art which i think is incredible yeah, I mean, I've said before, I think that the the action parts are of Epting's work are usually the, the least for me. Like, they're a little stiff. Yeah. Because those photorealistic people have a hard time giving the dynamism to super people. That's right. been my experience, mm-hmm. right? But here, maybe it's just fights because the acrobatics yeah. are spot Beautiful. on. Yeah. And really have like a feeling of motion and dynamism. That I, I've honestly found missing in the fights. So, uh, yeah, yeah a, a plus stuff. Great art. Uh, really, really incredible. Um, but let's get into talking about the story and what's going on here. Because this internal conflict for Cap of wanting to save Bucky basically in two different ways and not yeah. knowing which way is right. I mean, yes. my God. Like, that's a, that's a really, I think, difficult Thing, and especially a call for him to make on Bucky's behalf. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is and it isn't, right? Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I have, like, this bullet in here where I want to talk, in the script, where I want to talk about this. Because I know that this is the crux of the conflict. Yeah. And I get where Cap is coming from with his problems with it. But, yeah. okay, so I, I kind of referred to this as the old yeller question, which you thought sure. was maybe not taking it as seriously. And and that's fair. Yeah. Like Bucky is not a dog. I don't mean that. Right. But this idea of I have to do a horrible thing to my best friend because it's in yeah. their best interest. This is what they would want if they were in their right mind. Now, now also hold on. Even as I say that, we did just come out of an issue where we had the words government re-education camp yeah. across the page. So I want to be careful about how far to take the thing I'm saying. But at the same time, Cap knows how Bucky would feel about this. Like, he knows how he would feel about this. And and so I guess the question I ask is, is Cap really honoring his friendship with Bucky by saying, I'm going to save him come hell or high water? Or would he be really honoring his friend by doing the thing his friend, he knows his friend would want? You know? And again, this is the crux, but I don't think Mm -hmm. it's as difficult a call as cap seems to well i think that there's a lot of stuff involved too because the desire that cap has to save bucky right is not a selfless desire i mean we yes, saw in the last yes. issue no one would understand you if i wasn't around cap has been isolated and alone for such a long time Mm -hmm. and Bucky knows him. I mean, we go back into this flashback in this issue where he's 20 and Bucky is 16. Bucky's a kid sidekick 
kind of, but a four-year difference. I mean, I think that's about the difference in our age. Granted, we met when we were a lot older, but still, like, that's not that big a difference mm-hmm. as far as being able to be real friends um, and understand each other. And they were both really young when they bonded like that, right? Um, and, and so, war is first a big all, part. Like, it's worth saying, and, like... You had a lot. Trauma bonding is real. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, <laughs> That's and huge. Our mm-hmm. veterans, our World War II veterans that are still, and, and other veterans as well, yeah. but I mean, we're we're talking in World War II space. Well, yeah. like they were all kids, or for the most part, they were all kids out there doing this yeah. thing. And yeah, lifelong bond. Totally. Lifelong totally bond. Get but that. he also has an unnaturally long life. Mm-hmm. Everybody from that time in his life who would understand that part of him is dead now. Mm-hmm. Everyone. But here's Bucky, not only somebody from that period, but his best friend from his, that period, yes. the only person who can understand him, the only person who has known him pretty much from jump when he started being Captain America. Mm-hmm. So there is a selfishness to Cap's, you know, wanting to save Bucky. And his first response when Sharon is like, hey, let's talk about this is absolutely not. You don't even know what you're talking about. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. But then when he goes out on his own, he remembers back to uh, the time that he and Bucky had to make this call pretty Mm -hmm. much about their their, you know, uh, friends who were captured by the Red Skull. And then I'm not sure exactly what happened in that context. They look like zombies on the page. So I don't know if there's like a zombie thing. And it says they did something to their brains. Um, like I, yeah, they I think their it was brains or something. Trojan yeah. horse type stuff. Like, let's mm-hmm. take their friends and cut up their brains and put electrodes in it until they'll do what we want them to do. Pack yeah. them with explode. They're not going to be careful. We can't like send them yeah. over there as spies. They're going to shamble. Right. So there's a zombie uh-huh. vibe, but it's basically like, let's get them to hesitate just long enough to get all the high explosives close to them. To get all of that stuff. Which and is cap- brilliant yeah. and diabolical. Freaking horrifying, right? So here they are. They see their friends coming back at them. And for a moment, they're like, oh, my God, you know, what? whatever's going on. This is great because these are our people, you know. And then as they get closer, you know, Bucky is the one who realizes oh my God, this is what they've done. And Cap throws his shield and Bucky just starts shooting, Mm -hmm. you know, and then everything explodes. And they had to kill their friends because their friends would clearly need that. Like, that's not something that the friends, given the option, which they did not have, would want. So as Cap is remembering, when you look at your friend and you say, what would they want? And then you remember your friend making this choice for someone else based on what they would want for themselves. You know, I understand Cap's struggle, first of all, because killing your friend is not something you ever want to have to do. Right. And what would Bucky want? I think he has a pretty clear indicator of what would Bucky want. At the same time, those guys were not savable. But, but, but after reading the file, Cap knows that Bucky, that Bucky is in there. And if Bucky is in there and we can bring him back, you know, isn't that worth it? Okay, so that's a really interesting point, though, because there's a certain amount of hypocrisy in Cap's entire argument. Like, he is out of both sides of his mouth. He is simultaneously saying, I can't murder my friend, Mm -hmm. and saying, you're blaming the gun, not the guy who pulled the trigger, talking about Bucky. And I'm like, okay, is he at home or is he not at home? Because right now you're trying to have it both ways. And that's not how this works. Like, I don't know. It's also not about blame. 
<laughs> no, 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 no. Well, right. I mean, with Luke and yeah, like we know who the actual person responsible is. But you're saying on one hand, Bucky is in there and we have to say him. And on the other hand, in the very next sentence, you're saying the Winter Soldier is just a weapon. It, he cannot yeah. control himself. It's like, man, both of those cannot be 100% true. You know. Well, I think that they can. I think that they can exist in the same space because we're talking about two completely different things. When you're talking about fault and responsibility, you're talking about Luke and absolutely. But when you're sure. talking about the reality of the situation that you're dealing with, you're talking about the fact that Bucky, whatever part of Bucky is left in there, is trapped inside this existence where he is being forced to do things that he doesn't want to do constantly, all the time that he is awake. And then when he's not, he's in fucking green goo in a <laughs> container and some freaking warehouse somewhere like you know the the fact of the matter is that like who is at fault is completely irrelevant to the question of which way do we save Bucky which way is the right and proper and honorable way to save Bucky is it by finding him bringing him out and having him process everything that's happened to him which is um an unbelievable a amount lot. of trauma trauma takes a long time to properly process and uh yeah or and also with the knowledge that that is essentially a selfish choice right that is mm -hmm, not a choice mm -hmm. about what bucky would necessarily want that is a choice about what cap wants cap wants his best friend back um and then the other choice is the old yeller choice do we put him out of his misery and this program that Lucan has, and then go after Lucan as the responsible party. I don't think anybody's arguing that, you know, that Bucky is responsible for what's going on here. That is an irrelevant argument, but cap, because he's so deep in the emotion of this is not thinking like it with this like intellectual, yeah, let's let Socrates the shit out of this and decide <laughs> which is the argument that we need to make philosophically. Like Cap is just in this emotional turmoil. So yes, he is making these two arguments that are kind of at odds. And he's also like talking about one thing as though it is about fault and is it about responsibility sure, yeah. and morality. Whereas the other thing is you know, what do you do that is best for your friend, especially when he's remembering a time where Bucky made that exact choice for other right, people? Right, right. I also think, and this may, this slides into my next concern in this issue, I think, because another part of this is, okay, big, big hot take. Uh, Bucky's recruitment really makes me uncomfortable because to a certain extent they wintered soldiered like the American army winter soldiered Bucky Barnes before yeah. Karpov winter soldiered Bucky Barnes. Um, yeah. He is 16 years old. He has zero parental influence. We don't know anything about his mom. His dad is dead. He's 16 and been living on a military base. For some number of years, long enough to be yeah. the camp mascot. Anybody who tells you that 16-year-old is competent to make the decision to go to war on behalf of the U.S. Army is both yeah. ethically and legally lying and wrong. <laughs> yeah, it is. And uh, when you go back into the context of these two memories, right, when Bucky is a 16-year-old kid being recruited to be Cap's sidekick as a symbol yeah but a symbol that is going to be in battle 
Like not a symbol that's going to be running around at county fairs in America without being shot at. Like he is actually living the war life. Not just war, but is specifically called out as the dirty secrets weapon. Right? Mm-hmm. Like when when shady shit needs to be done that we absolutely cannot afford newsreels of Captain America doing, send mm-hmm. the 16-year-old to do the, the silent child. murders. Come on. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And once you've had a 16-year-old in your house, like I think we remember ourselves at 16 and think we were basically adults. But then you look <laughs> yes. at a 16-year-old in your house and you're like, this is a baby child. This is a baby child. And I think that like, yes, in certain circumstances, especially in the past, people aged faster because they needed to. Even with that, possibly a calculus of like 17, 18, regardless, it's still a child. It's still somebody who is way too young to understand anything and has been brainwashed to a certain degree, you know, living on a military base with all of like, what other option would Bucky even be aware of for his future? Right. You know, he doesn't know. So um, all of that stuff together is not great. Like Bucky has not had a lot of really strong choices in his life, except the relationship with Cap, except the friendship with Cap. Basically, Cap is the only thing in his life that I think was was truly, genuinely a, a Bucky experience of love and connection and friendship and all of that. Like, they went through all of this stuff together. So I think that that relationship being so incredibly, like, tightly trauma bonded, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so strong for both of them. And then for both of them to have lost so much. I mean, Cap yes. was in the ice for a long time. And Bucky has been, too, in a different way. Yes, And so absolutely. for both of them to be able to have each other after everything that they have lost, like, that is more than an old yeller question on so many levels. I mean, it's still an old yeller question. I don't think it's inappropriate to like pull that in. But like what Cap has to lose in Bucky is so much more than if they had had to make this decision in the war back then. Oh, yeah. There's a huge you know? context here. Yeah. yeah. And and I think not again, not that I think the character of Steve Rogers is thinking this with, you know, sort of his front brain. Right, right, right. But mm-hmm. we have to understand that Steve Rogers has already happily accepted to a certain extent the brainwashing and weaponizing of a human being named Bucky Barnes of a child yeah yeah like yeah. like caps already made his peace with that conceptually whether he thinks about it that way or not and so the idea yeah. of like oh yeah but this time he just got brainwashed by the bad guys let's bring him back like that's mm-hmm. part of the calculus and it's uh yeah, I mean, I again, I get where where Cap is coming from. Like, I did. Yeah. I don't mean to say it's not a, a conflict. Absolutely, but also, damn, I am uncomfortable with these parallels. <laughs> and I can tell you for a fact, I did not think about it this way in two thousand five. I I didn't think about it until you mentioned it. And once you mentioned it, it was like, hey, yeah. And I will bet you anything that textually, we're not making that. We're not drawing that connection between what what happened to Bucky before. You know, like, I think we're looking at that as like, this is the life. This kid gets to hang out with Cap, you know, Um, but this kid gets to murder 
<laughs> just a ton. Yes. Just a ton of murder, you know? And the reason, like, let's not forget the reason why he's the perfect Winter Soldier is because he was the perfect U.S. soldier. Yes! Like, he yes! was trained. This kid was not trained to take care of puppies. He was trained to murder the shit out of people. And when we see him, you know, with the guns on that bridge with Cap, they make this decision. Cap throws his shield and beheads one of these guys, like, right off the top. And then Bucky is there with a machine gun, just doing the business. And I'm sorry, but there is, like, there's no way that a kid can be doing that, you know, without also feeling the weight of those choices and those decisions. Like they may have felt in that moment that they did the right thing. And I think that like looking at it, you could definitely make a strong argument for that was the only option they had, but it doesn't mean you didn't have to kill your friend. Like just because something's right doesn't mean you didn't have to make that choice. Just because something is the right choice doesn't mean that making that choice isn't going to haunt you for the rest of your freaking days. Like, so all of this stuff, like Bucky did not have a great existence before winter soldier. And now all of these years, all of this time, the fact that Bucky is still in there almost makes it worse. Honestly. Yes. Yes. It's so freaking hard. And I mean, I from a narrative point of view, I fucking love it. Like, I think yeah, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, twist that knife by all means. Make it as bad as you possibly can because this shouldn't be an easy call for Cap. But also Cap being able to recognize that one of his decisions is probably more about him and what he's lost right. mm-hmm. than about Bucky. Like when you start having that clarity, and I think that he he starts having that clarity toward the end when Falcon yes. shows up, right? Yes. Um, you know, it it just is so beautifully put together and so freaking torment. It's just torment, you know, um, mm-hmm. him having all of this, you know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's so much, it's such a difficult decision. And so like, I understand the conflict that Cap is having. And even though I know one of those choices is more selfish than the other, um, we can understand at the same time. Yeah. Like I, I don't know making that decision, you know, like if you can, if you can save Bucky, even if it's going to be years of trauma and, and stuff to process and all of that having both of them having each other back mm-hmm. like that would be so such a great gift such a joy and the shot at that joy even though it means you have to go through much much darker paths to get mm-hmm. there feels like something that bucky deserves to have after everything he's been through yeah 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 that's interesting like that what what bucky deserves a chance at not being a pre-programmed yeah. soldier of any type, but is that even an mm-hmm. option, you know, at this point? And, uh, yeah. And, and I'll tell you now I'm very curious. I'm going to attempt mm-hmm. to Google around for 20 year old comic book news at this point, but you make a really <laughs> interesting point when you're like, I'm not sure that the story is drawing that parallel. Yeah. And you're right. I'm not sure that it is, but now that I've seen it, I'm like, how the hell can it not though? And it makes me wonder <sighs> Which, again, I missed it. Like, I know I wasn't doing that in 2005 because I was a right-wing shithead and had very different thoughts about the military at the time. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious, even though it doesn't really matter for death of the author purposes, I'm legitimately curious what, like, the the authorial intent. Yeah, Yeah, where is that? Is that part of this? Or 
was that an accidental juxtaposition? I'm just, it doesn't matter in the end, but I'm really curious. Well, I think that like it's definitely an interesting question um, Mm -hmm. because like if that was authorial intent and it's in there, it's behind the good guy veil. Right. Because when we have good guys, we were talking about this and listen up a holes when we were uh, dealing with agents of shield, right. Mm -hmm. That everything that um, Coulson and, um, and the group did was okay because they had like this good guy protective barrier that, that prevented us from questioning the things that they were doing. Like we still questioned it, but generally in our stories, when we see good guys, capital G, capital G, right? Everything they do is automatically okay. And we, we right. have yes. not, I think, culturally questioned that kind of heroism. Like if they're doing something questionable, it's because they have to. It's because it's the ultimate good. But we don't walk through the actual questions, mm-hmm, you know, of mm-hmm. is that okay? So here I feel like we have a good guy veil, over this this moment where you know we're talking about this kid who's been on this base and basically just kind of hanging out with these soldiers whose parents are gone and not available to protect him and we're going to make him be the you know the kid's sidekick and and the one to do the dirty deeds alongside of cap right um because when you look at the way that it's written if brubaker wrote that and didn't like intend for there to be like, Hey, do you see this? You Mm -hmm. know, um, I would be kind of surprised because it feels like it's something that I don't think that I would have seen back then and didn't see it until you pointed it out now, but now of course it's there. But I think it's, it's really kind of an interesting thing. The way that it is laid out, it feels rather pointed. Like there could have been other ways to present that, that wouldn't have been as damning. And yet this is a very damning kind of, circumstance to be put in this kid in and i think that that's really interesting but the other thing is that we have another parallel we have another dark reflection here of the kill your best friend right right? because we've got this this little you know interstitial kind of thing that is almost um you know just so separate from everything that's going on um but we have lucan his soul is basically being eaten by the cosmic cube and then his best friend is like, I am really concerned about this. He keeps yelling at him. He keeps saying, I am going to kill you, right? To his best friend, yes. right? And attacks when he when he collapses in the hallway, when Lucan collapses in the hallway and drops the cosmic cube. And then his best friend, Leon, goes to touch it. All we see is Lucan's enraged face Loses along with us. Uh, along with a sound cue that sounds like, I don't know, bones crunching or maybe best friends dying, right? Like, I'm not sure what happens to Leon, but it's probably not good. So (laughs) here we have Lucan being affected and brainwashed, right? And similar to Bucky, right? Um, Leon is trying to save him. And then Lucan at least attacks him, if not kills him, I'll find out in the next issue. Um, And I'm thinking, like, is this a parallel for how Bucky is going to respond to Cap trying to save him? Is he going to turn on Cap and want to kill Cap? Because even with Bucky inside, Bucky inside does not want to be saved. Lucan does not want to be saved, right? So... 
I don't know if that's deliberate, but I found that a really interesting kind of mirror as well. Absolutely. I I mean, that we have 20 of 22 pages being Captain America struggling with whether or not he should murder his murderous best friend. Yeah. Right? Versus Mm -hmm. Lucan in in two pages threatening his legit, because just a few issues ago, before there was a cube, he has trusted Leon. Leon is, you know... I, I don't think Lucan's a man who has actual friends, but Leon is as close as he gets a confidant, right? Major right. Dormo, mm-hmm. right-hand man, knows everything, mm-hmm. is all part of it. And in the two pages that we have of Lucan, it is, if not murdering, deeply hurting his best friend without making a decision. Like he does it in a moment, yeah. in a rage. No contemplation one way or the other, just does it. Ooh, there's some, yeah, there's some parallels and you know, twisted, dark reflections mixed in there too. Yeah. I I think it, I when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Like mm-hmm. the ways in which this relationship sort of reflects on uh, Cap and and Bucky. Um, and, I, and, you know, I mean, not, it was in this issue where Lucan said, I will kill you. Yes. Leon. And Leon is like, I think, feeling safe because he's known Lucan for so long because they have this deep relationship. And I, I'm pretty sure that Leon does not see this attack coming. And he is trying to save his friend. Yeah. You know? that- but I see the, the Lucan and Bucky relationship as being like the same kind of um, reflections of each other. I find really interesting. I'm interested to see how that, how that shows up in the next couple of issues. I want to say, I think there's a couple of different ways that you can like Mm -hmm. dark mirror this because obviously Lucan does not struggle with the decision that Captain America struggles with for pages and pages, but to flip this around too, Leon seems to be genuinely concerned. Like, whatever their relationship, he is like, this is not you. Mm -hmm. You don't act like this. It's threatening the plan, but it's also threatening you and your well-being, and I'm not Mm -hmm. okay with that. And that gets him killed, which comes back around to that whole, like, so sometimes Lucan's Cap, sometimes he's Bucky. Like, depending on who we're we're reflecting. Mm -hmm. Oh. Man, and that's the kind of thing, not to beat this dead horse, but that's the kind of stuff I know that's on purpose. There's no doubt in yes. my mind, mm-hmm. which is why I come back around to, okay, but was this parallel between 16-year-old Bucky being turned into Bucky, the sidekick of Captain America, a purposeful parallel with Bucky being turned into the Winter Soldier? I don't know. I feel like it's there's so much gotta darkness be. in that scene. Yeah. There's so much darkness in that scene. That I kind of feel like maybe there was a point being made. It was, a, I, I think it was a point that was going to require a very particular type of reader to pick up on yeah. it. Um, but to feel uncomfortable with what's going on in that scene with this child, you know, who you see at play, right? They're yeah. watching him and he's playing like soccer with the other, you know, people like the soldiers on the base. Well, the thing is, know? he's yeah. beating the shit out of them, actually. But he <laughs> looks like he's playing, like he's happier than a pig and shit. Like he's just... Are they boxing or were they playing? Did oh, I... no. He's kicking the hell out of them because that's why Cap was like, oh, I recognize. Why he's did training. I see that as soccer? I read that as they were playing a game. That is so Because funny. he looks like he's a kid yeah. having fun. 100%. Oh, man. Yeah. But but I mean, they yeah. talk about his fighting style in there. Yeah. So, um, and it, I, I can kind of close that out and say to you, I think that good guy veil is a really interesting concept because I yeah. think you can also layer them, right? Yeah. Because we mm-hmm. have the good guy veil of ostensibly seeing this through Captain America's view, 
where he has trepidation, but yeah. Cap wouldn't say yes if it wasn't the right move, right? If it wasn't okay, right? We also have but a Cap's couple Cap's also of, 20. He's a kid. I know. Yeah, that's a whole... Yeah. But you have, yeah. I feel, at least two other layers of good guy veil, okay? Because kid sidekicks are a thing in superhero yep. comics that the that we've just come to accept even as comics continuously get air quotes more adult and darker yeah. and grittier i don't this is part of the i don't think that's a good idea like there's parts of these things that are supposed to be unalloyed goods that when you make them more complex when you take mm -hmm. them out of kind of a fairy tale realm and into a more realistic realm you're like no clearly that's fucked what are you doing yeah. to these children so mm -hmm. there's like a comic book superhero good guy veil. There's also the America good guy veil that World War II was the last good war. Bullshit. We don't have good wars. We've just been yeah. pretending that one was good so we could feel mm -hmm. better about it. You know, right. um, but there's but that's deeply culturally entrenched in us, you know, and mm -hmm. in superhero comics, which in many ways spring from that uh, like right. wartime patriotism, you know. Mm -hmm to an extent, might is right, you know. We've tried, basically, we have made superheroes more complicated in a way that does not serve them, and we have made our entrance into war less complicated in a yeah, way that yeah, does yeah. not serve us. All right, so here we are ready for my favorite part of every episode, which is when we talk about our favorite parts of the issue. We're <laughs> going to start with the art. And I have to say, like, I love the spread that the two page spread of like cap and the, the sky is like this dark kind of like mostly green, you know? Um, and it's right before Falcon shows up. Yeah. He's in this, like it, it is dark night of the soul. We see him floating, kind of flying through the city. We see the birds all around him, which of course will become relevant to, to Falcon being able to find mm -hmm. him. Right. Um, and we just see him struggling with himself, trying to find, and he's moving from space to space in this kind of like parkour sort yes, of movement yes. throughout the city. Um, and I just like, I love him flying through the sky. There's the birds all around him, but the birds are black. They're all in silhouette, especially mm -hmm. that one panel where Cap is in silhouette. Mm -hmm. The birds are in silhouette. All you see is that green and that black. And he's got this blackness. It is this dark night of the soul for Cap and the way that that is represented. And then Falcon lands and, you know, says, uh, do you need a friend? You know, and I'm Ooh. just like my heart. Yes. And he's like, yes, I do. Do you need a friend? And what the friend that he wants and that he needs is Bucky. Like freaking, I love it. I love it. That is also my favorite part um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for a couple of different reasons. Like, of course, all of that wrapped up in it, but also not for nothing. And this is not something yeah. I would expect you to to know. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but knowing until this that Bucky was never going to come back. Right. Yeah. Falcon is the best friend of Captain America. Like if you uh -huh. before before the MCU, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, we all know about Bucky. But if you would just grab somebody and been like, who's Captain America's best friend? It's Falcon all day long. Like, yeah, they mm -hmm. met because of the Cosmic Cube, because of Red Skull. Mm -hmm. Falcon was not a superhero when they met and then became a superhero. So that for a long time, Captain America's book was called Captain America and the Falcon. Like they mm -hmm. were Batman and Robin. 
like that, like that close. And so when he says, do you need a friend? That's like, yeah, this is literally the only other guy. I've had two. And this Mm -hmm. is the, this is the other one who wants to talk to me about the first one is, um, there's just a lot wrapped up in that. And, and also Epting who is doing like grungy, realistic stuff Mm -hmm. still manages to like do some big superhero shit with Falcon's reveal. Like it's kind of majestic. It's kind of bigger than life in a way that these guys should be, even if they're in the middle of the French connection and the Manchurian candidate. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. It's, it's so beautifully represented. What is your favorite part of the story? I think it's gotta be Lucan losing his control and almost well, that's a little spoiler. Leon's not dead, but he's in real rough shape. Like almost yeah. murdering Leon. All but murdering Leon. And honestly, mm-hmm. again, since I'm in that space, if Leon survives, it might be less pleasant for him than if he had just died. Like it's one of those oh. suggestions when we get there yeah. next issue. It's also in passing, so I'm not giving too much away. Mm-hmm. But just that yeah. moment, because mm-hmm. because Lucan is so in control in the boardroom and literally... 30 seconds later, could not be less in control of himself. Like that immediate juxtaposition, especially when in a couple of issues, you find out what's going on with Lucan. Hot damn. That is, oh my God. that's the stuff. Just this like three or four panels. Just amazing. <laughs> what about yourself? What's oh your favorite God. part of the story? I, I got to say, I love when Cap is, you know, parkouring throughout the city, like having his dark night of the soul, rescues a woman from being mugged. And I think that if you had come up to cap uh, like five minutes after that and said, wow, that's amazing what you did rescuing that woman. He would just say, what woman? Like, he's not thinking about her. He's not thinking about, it's just like this side thing that he does. The woman is like, Hey, what the hell just happened? And he's like, I'm moving. He doesn't even talk to her. I know. Not even interested. And there's something about him being in this dark struggle, not knowing the right thing to do. And then just absentmindedly, saving someone in the middle of all of that because it is it's muscle memory for him it doesn't even it doesn't even reach his consciousness you know um and there's something about him being heroic without thinking about it while all he can think about is what is the more heroic choice when it Mm -hmm. comes to bucky there's just something about that moment that i just absolutely loved as long as we're living in weird philosophical places, there is yeah. a conversation I've been having with my kid a lot lately mm-hmm. about habits, right? Yeah. That habits are still choices. They're just mm-hmm. choices you have made so many times. They're now on automatic. Yeah. And often we talk about bad habits and we want to undo mm-hmm. that. And that's difficult because we've automated it. Right. But but the flip of that is they're good habits, like automating mm-hmm. the good habits we see right here in Cap. Even in the midst of yeah. all of this, you know, long, dark tea time of the soul moment he's having, the muscle memory says, save a life, you know, mm-hmm. save a person. And um, there's a little bit of a lesson there, I think, about good habits that mm-hmm. spring from good it. choices. Absolutely. And that that is at the core of who Cap is. Yes. While he's trying to decide what the right thing is to do. Yes. Um, Yeah. No, just so incredibly wonderful. I love it. All right. We'll be back next week with Captain America number 13, The Winter Soldier Part 5, in which Lucan has had enough of the cube. Cap is bringing in some help of the Avengers sort to solve the Winter Soldier problem. And everyone winds up on a collision course with one another in a penultimate issue of The Winter Soldier Story. Until then, anger will not help you deal with this. It'll just make sure that whatever you do next is the wrong move. 
Thanks for listening to In the Gutter with Joshua Anru and Lonnie Diane Rich. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider talking about it with your friends, leaving a review somewhere, or supporting Chipperish Media, patreon.com slash chipperish.